Turn to the book of 1 John with me. You know, I this this idea of of fellowship um I used to just think it was kind of Christians spending time together and it it really wasn't until I started to work with Muslim people um that I really understood community I think that I really understood a sense of belonging it was when I moved to Spain and in particular when I moved to France after having lived in Spain and after um being a, a, a gospel herald to Muslim peoples in southern Spain, I started to see there are groups of people living outside of their homeland, and they, they identify together in this really strong way, no matter how much of what makes them feel like home is taken away from them. And so... When I would see people in Spain or see people in France, and if I see people here in America, you know, oftentimes our first tendency is to look at a woman who's wearing a veil and to think, what's wrong with that person? Don't they know they're in America? Americans don't wear veils, right? What is the divide there between a a Muslim woman wearing a veil and living in a country where... Nobody wears veils anymore, right? In churches, women probably used to. They'd cover their head or wear hats down south kind of thing um, for similar, no, not for similar reasons. But it's just culturally, we don't, we don't do it anymore. Well, the reason why a Muslim woman isn't quick to assimilate is because she doesn't identify her community as America, Her fellowship isn't with Americans. Her fellowship is with her people, right? You have to have commonality to have fellowship, community. Now, I thought of the the this idea that um, the depth of community is directly related to the depth of the relationship. So, I have a friend who was. He grew up in a really bad part of Denver, Colorado, and he, as a teenager, was a delivery driver, um, and he delivered pizzas in a very nice part of Denver. It was where all the Denver Broncos generally lived, and so he told me that he got to deliver a pizza to John Elway's house once, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I hated the Broncos when I was growing up, just for the record, because I was a Cleveland Browns fan, right? The Packers were never beat by the Broncos in any big games, right? <laughs> but I'm allowed to say that because the Browns never did anything, right? <laughs> but I thought, wow, that's amazing. Here is this giant in football, John Elway, and you got to meet him. You got to deliver pizza to his house. And he told me, he's like, that guy is a jerk. Super rich, didn't even give me a tip. And so he went out to his car, took all the trash out of his car, and put it in John Elway's bushes, right? Did, did John Elway and my friend have fellowship? No, none, right? Now, he also delivered pizza in the same neighborhood to another um, Packer-terrorizing Bronco, Terrell Davis, running back. So he goes to his house, And he said the experience was completely different. 
rings the doorbell. He hears voices all around the back. Um, All of a sudden, he hears this voice yell, come around back. We're in the back. He goes through the gate, around to the back of the house, the pool. Kids are everywhere. It's a birthday party. And Terrell Davis says, oh, come on over. You know, thanks for bringing the pizzas. Pays him, gives him a big tip. Did they have fellowship? Sort of, right? Here's a better way to put it, right? Did they have good fellowship? No. Did he have more fellowship with Terrell Davis than John Elway? You bet. Because Terrell Davis said, I am going to invite you into my community. A little bit. A fraction, right? You can come into my backyard. You can come to my kid's party. Temporarily, right? Um, You can be received with a smile. I'm saying we have some sort of relationship where you're not going to put your trash in my bushes when you leave. Now, that increases the closer we get in relationships, right? That increases if we're talking about our our, our hometown community, right? We feel, you know, people who grew up here in Verona feel tied to Verona in a way that I don't feel tied to Verona. You've got roots here. You've got fellowship here. You've got community here. The relational depth dictates the amount of fellowship we have, but it also dictates the amount of joy that we have in that place. So that the, the deeper the relationships, the deeper the fellowship, the deeper the joy we experience. For me, Hometown Days Parade is just another parade, right? For people who grew up here, going to the Hometown Days Parade every week, or every week, every year, it, we used to be a lot more festive, right? Um, every year, it's a, me- it's a memory. It's a part of participating in and fellowshipping with the community of Verona. So my equivalent of a home, the Jubilee Days Parade, it's, which is way better, by the way. Um, no. But it, do you see what I'm getting at? It's the relationship, it's the fellowship that we have together that creates the enjoyment of it. Now, one other way that I thought of this is everybody believes that diamonds are beautiful. Everybody, right? My wife said, when I was, said, I'm going to ask you to marry me, she said, oh, you don't have to spend a lot of money, you don't have to do anything. And I gave her a little, this little, really nice, t- little d- diamond that I could <laughs> bear, <laughs> Right? And, and I, honestly, I had never cared about the beauty of precious stones until I went shopping for one, and they laid out a little a bag of little diamonds right, on, on, this, on this little black felt mat, and I could see, wow, this is amazing. It is crazy how much detail and light and playing on each other of detail and light and, and the color and everything that makes this thing beautiful, right? Now, you can appreciate that even if you see just a picture of a diamond. You can see a picture of it and see like, wow, that is beautifully made, beautifully cut, beautiful stone. You're going to appreciate it even more if it's your diamond. 
that belongs to you, right? When I gave Valerie her ring, she spent the next two hours, we're eating in this cheap pizza place, staring at her hand, looking at it with the different lights and stuff, right? It had nothing to do with me asking her to marry me. It had everything to do with this stone that was on her hand. She doesn't know that it's fake, but no. Now, there's a sense of fellowship around that stone because it's hers. She is united to it. She has, it's, it's her ring. But it's also our ring, right? Because I'm the one who gave it to her. How much more, if, imagine if we were in a community that had a giant diamond discovered and they created a Verona Diamond Museum and people flocked from all over the world to come see it, we would say, that's not um, Dan Orloff who dug it up. That's not his diamond. That is Verona's diamond. It is ours, and it's precious, and we rejoice in it. It's the same way with our faith in Christ. Okay, There's a joy that comes from seeing Christ in all of his beauties, in all of his perfections. There's a joy in you personally being united to Jesus, right? He is your diamond. He is your precious thing, your treasure. And there is even more joy in you being united to Christ along with other people. That's what we're going to see here in First John Before we read it, let me go ahead and pray, and we will take a little bit of a deeper look into 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Lord, I thank you that um, today, for those of us who are in Christ, you have called us into fellowship with you. And as we look at what that means, I pray that your spirit within us would shine light on ways that we can grow in our fellowship with you and with each other. And in particular, Lord, that you would remind us and teach us and be showing us that there is true joy to be found in fellowship. There's true joy to be found in true community. Where we are failing to do that as individuals, as, as a group, Lord, would you cause us to repent and turn to you? And where we are already doing that, would you cause us to glory in it? Um, Because it is bringing you glory and it is bringing us joy. Open our eyes to the truth in your word this morning. Open our eyes to your beauties. Open our eyes to the glory of being united to you, to having fellowship with you, Father. And open our eyes to the glory of having fellowship with you and with each other. We love you and we thank you for this morning, for this time for your word, for your spirit at work within us. In Christ's name, amen. Here's what John says as he begins this pretty short letter. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it. And testify to it, and proclaim to you the, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, the first thing that we're going to see here in these verses is that there. The, the goal, right, as he, as he comes to the end of these, these four verses, he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Fellowship is connected to joy in some way. We've got to start there, right? So we are going to start by seeing that there is joy in fellowship because first, it's all about Jesus Christ. And that brings joy. Jesus shines in these verses, you can see it in um, his description, starting in verse 1, when he says, he says, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, concerning the word of life, right? He's talking about from the beginning. Eternal, this, this smacks of John chapter 1, where, where the Jesus, the word, is put so clearly and so plainly Forward In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He's not just God, Jesus, but He is the Word of life, concerning the Word of life. That is good reason to have joy. But, not only is He the Word of life, but He is also the Word of life, that which was in the beginning, that has been made manifest. So God has not just taken Jesus and said, well, Jesus is the author of life. He's creator of the universe. He's worthy of honor and glory and praise and everything that's good. But he made him manifest. He appeared to us, right? Kind of like in a, an epiphany we our word epiphany comes from the same word of made this made manifest. An epiphany is kind of a light bulb moment where you're like, ah, something becomes clear. Well, in this same way, in the same way, God made Jesus Christ manifest to us the word of life. And he says it two times in verse two, right? Concerning the word of life, verse two, the life was made manifest. It was put before us in a way that's like, look. Here is Christ. Here is the word of life. The end of verse 2. That which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. This repetition, right? And he's going to repeat other things too. The repetition that John makes here, it says something about what he is talking about, right? You tend to talk repetitively about things that you enjoy or things that you love, things that you're proud of. And John is doing just like that. So we can have joy in fellowship because it's all about Jesus Christ. And John is making that clear by gushing about Christ. So not only is he from the beginning, the word of life, these titles or ideas in an abstract sense that would make Jesus already worthy of glory and honor, but also he, God has put him before us in a way that we can easily recognize. And, John says, which, that which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. And he keeps repeating himself. 
In verse 2, the life was made manifest. We've seen it. We testify to it. We proclaim it to you. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. He saw Jesus. Jesus was made plain to him, and he, he touched Christ. He heard Christ. He reveled in the fact that he had the opportunity to have Jesus all to himself. Right? He's sharing him with the other disciples, of course. But here he is just saying that Jesus is beautiful. He's glorious. He's a treasure. When you see him, when you hear him, when you touch him, you will talk about him. You'll proclaim him. This repetition, it reveals that there's beauty and glory, and it also reveals that there was an impact in John's life. Okay? So, the first thing that we're going to see here is that there's joy in fellowship, and we haven't gotten to the fellowship part yet, um, because it's all about Jesus. Right? Nobody cares if you have joy in fellowship to your guitar. If you love your guitar, nobody cares, because a guitar is just a guitar. If a truck runs over it, it's gone. Right? That doesn't happen with Jesus. Right? There's great joy in Jesus because he is of infinite value that can't be destroyed. And that comes out in the way that John is saying, I, I saw him, I touched him, I heard him. Um, God revealed him to us and it was so wonderful that it made us want to proclaim it to you, to testify to it, to write this letter to you. It brings great joy. Now the second thing that we want to see is that there is joy in fellowship because it unites us to God. So if John saw Jesus Christ as beautiful, as worthy of treasuring, as glorious, it is even better because seeing that beauty, seeing that glory is what brings him close to it, right? So there's joy in the fact that when you recognize that, you are with the thing that you treasure. So I was thinking of, back to the idea of a diamond. If there is a diamond mine, right, where they're digging up diamonds and there's this giant diamond, um, that's cool. It's beautiful. You see a picture of it and you're like, that's, that's beautiful. But when it's yours and you dig it up and you have it, it's even more wonderful. It's even more beautiful. It says, um, I'm not just going to tell you about this treasure, but I'm having it for my own. And part of the reason why we have this treasure, um, in the, the purpose of what John is writing here, it's, we can see it in those words, so that. He says, that which we've seen, that which was from the beginning, we've seen, we've heard, we've touched, we proclaim it to you so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father. When they saw, touched, heard, um, felt Christ, they had fellowship with God. Now, what is fellowship? We're finally getting to the point of what is it that we're actually talking about. Fellowship is just community. It's oneness in communities, one way of putting it. It's participation, like a, a common participation. 
or sharing in, in something that's, that's common. So that's why we can talk about having fellowship around a country. It's why we can talk about having fellowship around family, around a sports team, right? You're, you're sharing a common experience, a common set of um, privileges or a common set of responsibilities with people. That is fellowship. Now, when, Paul, or when John says, um, we have seen and heard these things, we proclaim it also to you so that you may indeed have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship Our shared experience, our oneness in community is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's joy in fellowship because it unites us to God. There is joy in fellowship beyond the joy that we experience around sports or around family or around friends or around country or around sexual identity or whatever because this fellowship that John is talking about brings us to the source. Brings us right to community with God. In Christ, we share in the community the activities, the privileges, responsibilities of God's immediate family. So, this is a sense of participation, of Usness, right? If we belong to something, we identify with it. Um, and this is where having Muslim friends really helped me um, because they have this word, it's Uma. And so you can be out of your country, it means community. You can be out of Morocco. Like most of my friends were Moroccan in Spain. And they could move to Sweden, right? So far away from Morocco. And yet they still identify with the Ummah, with the, the community of Muslims all over. Their Muslim identity is so strong because they have strong fellowship. Sharing in the privileges, responsibilities, um, joys, everything that goes around their community. So when John is saying, um, I'm telling you about the sweetness, the glory, the beauty of Christ so that you will have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with God and with Christ. He's inviting you into something greater than any other fellowship you have on earth. He's saying this usness that is us with Christ, come and make it yours. Come and be part of it. And that leads us into our third point that there's joy in fellowship because it multiplies. Fellowship is not meant to be guarded to yourself. It's meant to be partaken of in a group. Okay, so if first we had joy in fellowship because it's all about Christ, it's all about Jesus, and second, we have joy in fellowship because it unites us to God, right? We are born into the fellowship of Christ's church, his body, because we're first united to Christ himself. And lastly, we have joy and fellowship because it multiplies by invitation. When you taste and see how good God is in Jesus, you invite other people into it. That is exactly what John is doing when he's saying, I touched it. I touched him. I heard him. I looked on him. I gazed upon him. 
I heard his teaching. I experienced life with Christ. I want to tell you about it so that you can be a part of it. So you can participate it in the same way that I did. The enjoyment of an infinite Christ, it only gets better with more people enjoying an infinite Christ, right? Christ is better than any diamond. We can't cheer for him too much, right? If we all go crazy cheering for the Packers, um, there's, there's a point where even a, even a Packers fan would say, whoa, 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 this is too much, right? If you start rioting and looting against other teams and stuff, you know, that's for soccer. That's, we'll leave that. But it's too much. But with Christ, there is not too much celebration that can happen. It never goes over the top, right? And we know as believers that you never celebrate violently Jesus Christ, right? But there is no amount of celebration. There is no amount of saying how beautiful, how glorious he is that isn't appropriate. And there is no amount of people doing that together that will ever, ever, ever be too much. He will always deserve more. He'll always have more. So if in Philippians 3.10, we, t- we looked at last week that we were called to share in Paul. He gloried in sharing, participating, fellowshipping is the same word, in Christ's sufferings. If later when we take the Lord's Supper, he says, you know, is not the bread a, par- a participation? Right? It's fellowshipping. It's the same idea. And so here we can see that fellowship is better when we are together. Okay? And so even in my heart, every time I say the word fellowship, 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 I know you're all thinking of a potluck. Right? That's the first thing that comes to my mind is let's just have some fellowship around some bean dip. Right? But it's every time I say the word fellowship, I'm not talking about seven layer dip. I'm talking about real, deep community. Community that surpasses culture. Community that surpasses understanding, intelligence, age, everything. Community that says we are united to Christ together, and that is the thing that brings us together. In spite of differences, in spite of language, in spite of age, in spite of preference, whatever. If we have Jesus, we fellowship, we commune, we unite around Jesus. And that's just what the early church did, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, and to the Lord's Supper. Community. Did they live and express fellowship? Of course. They sold their fields. They gave money as any need arose. They lived as one people. They identified together, and they had to, because all of a sudden, they were outcasts, right? The Jewish, the, you know, I read the story of the Syrophoenician woman um, before, um, dur- before the, the pastoral prayer, and imagine Jesus, all of a sudden, with his disciples, kind of taking the side of the Gentile woman. How do you think the Jewish community reacted to that? Not too well, Right? They're like, these people are freaks. They're not Jews. Get them out of here. You're only going to survive that if you have true community in Christ in yourself. 
In Philippians 1.5, Paul says, I'm sure that God will finish the good work that he has done in you, and um, he'll, he'll finish the good work that he has begun in you, and I'm sure of this because of your partnership, your fellowship, community, same word, in the gospel from the beginning. That idea of com- um, having a common privilege, common responsibility, a shared identity in Christ made Paul and his gospel ministry sure that as they came alongside with him, they communed with him so that he was sure that what God had begun in them, he could say, God's going to finish it because of fellowship. In 2 Corinthians 9.13, when they're taking up a collection for the the saints in Jerusalem, and Paul, he says, I want to Thank you for your contribution. Um, It's the same word, your fellowship. Why would churches in other parts of the world have given money to those who were suffering if they didn't share a common identity? If they didn't share communion? If they didn't share a oneness in community around something? Now they gave because they had fellowship with the believers all over the world. The thing that united them was Christ. The thing that united them to God was Christ. They had communion and fellowship with God, and they had fellowship with each other, and it showed. Now, the one, um, <clears throat> one way that the founder of my old mission agency used to talk about evangelism was he would say, I'm just one beggar, showing another beggar where to get bread. And I thought, you know, this fellowshipping thing, why, why would John say, he would end in verse 4 by saying, and we're writing these things to, so that our joy may be complete. Shouldn't it be enough for him to find peace with God? Shouldn't it be enough? Wouldn't he be satisfied just with, I got rid of my condemnation. Thank you, God. I'm happy to be with you. I'm happy to have communion, fellowship with you, just the two of us, you and I. But there's, again, there's something about fellowship that demands a broader community. And so I thought of an orphan who finds a family, right? If, imagine orphans, maybe street kids in Brazil or something, um, living in community. They've got their fellowship. And they come in contact with a rich person and gain access to a better fellowship, if they really appreciate what they received, they will go back and they will say, there's plenty here. We have plenty in our family. You can all come in. You're no longer orphans. Come be brothers and sisters. Come be part of our family. That is what the church is. Now, the key in all of this is Christ. So as we think, well, what does this mean? What do these four verses, short passage in a short book, in a giant book, right? In a giant Bible, have to do with us in Memorial Baptist Church today with me, Mike Gorski, here today with you. First, there is no fellowship, there's no communion, and there is no joy in fellowship if there's no Christ. Okay? So we can gather together and have potlucks. We can gather together and 
do games, we can gather together and do all kinds of fun stuff that none of it is wrong, unless it's sinful things, right? Um, None of those things are wrong, but if there's no Christ, then it's not real fellowship. Christ is what gives the depth and the meaning to fellowship. So when we say fellowship, we need to be thinking in in our minds, are we talking about Christian fellowship? Is the the thing that we're planning on doing, are we united by a common love for a common thing that's not Christ, or is it Christ? That also means that, well, I'll get to that later. So first, application, there's no joy in fellowship. There's no fellowship without fellowship in Christ. John made it clear, you're united to Christ. You have fellowship with him first, then you have fellowship with each other. Second, one big, 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 being repetitive like John was, right? Big, large barrier to fellowship and to joy in fellowship is sin. Now, this sin can manifest itself in different ways. Um, It can be personal sin. It can be um, cultural kind of sin, ways that you're part of a group of people that is... Um, overlooking something you should do or um, doing something you shouldn't do, but it's just part of how you operate. But John puts it this way um, in verse 6 of the same chapter when he says, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Um, If we say that, um, yeah, we love God. We love Jesus, and yet we're walking in sin, right? And when John talks about that, he's, he's not saying you sin one time. He's talking you have a lifestyle, you have a, a repetition, a habit to your sin that you're just kind of like, well, Jesus died for me. I got grace, right? It's all about grace by grace through faith in Christ. If we do that, we walk in darkness and we say we have fellowship, we don't have fellowship with him. If we say we don't have sin, like in verse 8, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not with us. We as Christians, part of fellowship with Christ, fellowship with each other, that oneness in community is bringing our sin to the community. It's bringing, instead of staying in our darkness and saying, I'm in the light, I'm in the light, we bring our darkness that we still have, and we bring it into the light. We bring it to each other. We bring it into the light so that Jesus can shine the light on our sin. We see it, we repent of it, and we only grow in fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. And that brings us to this third, this third application, is that in order to do that, the gospel is the key to fellowship with God. In verse 8, when he, says after, um, when he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But verse 9 and 10, lots of people memorize these verses. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. The key to having oneness in community with God is you bring your sin from the darkness into the light. You confess it, and what happens? 
This is the beauty of the gospel. He cleanses us of all sin. Isn't that amazing? That is crazy. What other group, right? What other kind of fellowship do you bring your junk into it and, and they, they, they clean you of it? You know, if you bring your junk to, if you have a book club or a knitting club or anything, and you go and you're like, oh, wow, you know what? I did the worst thing just to spite my husband or my wife. I put hot sauce instead of ketchup or something because they made me so mad. I've never done that. Just everybody's looking at Valerie, right? Not, I'm not saying she hasn't done it to me, but, but she hasn't. They, if you do that enough, they're going to be like, wow, this person is terrible. I don't want anything to do with this person. But the church is the one place, it's the one community where we all have those things, right? Every one of you. I don't care if you're six years old or if you're 80 years old. You have sin that needs to come from the darkness into the light. And when it comes from the darkness into the light here with each other in fellowship, we point each other to Jesus and say, wow, you know what? Jesus Christ died for that sin, and if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Right standing before God, not a problem. Jesus secured it for us. The gospel is the key to fellowship with God. Now, it's also the key to fellowship with each other. Right? In the same way we direct each other as part of a community, we direct each other to God, to have right fellowship with God. You confess your sin, and fellowship is restored with Him. Relationship is restored and unhindered. In the same way, it's key to us having community with each other. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another. Galatians 6 talks about shouldering each other's burdens. God gave us a community. He gave us a fellowship of believers so that we would help each other. Help each other in having deeper communion with God through the power of the gospel, through the confession, repentance, and forgiveness that we receive in Christ as individuals. And it's the key to us doing it together, right? If, if one of you, I'm going to be just transparent here, and say that if you interact with me, I will judge you, okay? It is just in my nature. I'm, skept- I'm really skeptical, right? Um, I, I just tend to think that I understand things in my own way, and um, that, is, that is right, right? I know you all do the same thing, so I don't feel too bad saying it. It's just I, I have to, st- what's the key as I stand up here and say that, What's the key to you being able to talk to me? It's me demonstrating, I'm not the judge. It's me demonstrating, you know what? I see this sin in your life. You can bring it here, right? You can bring your sin to me, and I'm not going to say, Ben's smiling down here. If he comes to me and confesses his deepest, darkest sin, I'm not going to go, man, that's messed up. You are the sickest, weirdest, most terriblest person I have ever met. I'll greet you with a handshake and a smile next week. 
No, I'm going to say, you know what? The same Savior that died for my sins, the same Savior who says, if you confess your sins, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you, he's there for you too. Right? That is what fellowship in the church is all about. Right? Imagine if we could do that. Some of you have been here longer than me, right? So I probably have wounded some people here that I don't know about. But if you've been in any community for any amount of time, there are old wounds that run deep. There's only one way to have real fellowship in spite of those wounds, and it's to heal them. Heal them through the blood of Christ, through the gospel of Christ, where we can confess our sins to each other and to God, and we lift each other up to the Lord, knowing that we have full forgiveness. We don't have a right to hang on to those old old wounds, old arguments, right? That's a barrier to any relationship. The gospel of Christ, freely given by grace through faith, is the key to having fellowship with others and joy in fellowship. If we're going to have a oneness in community, we have to have a gospel oneness. Now, lastly, and this is the one that is so weird for me, so weird as a Western American person is that John ends with, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The last application is joy is interpersonal. God doesn't just give you joy for you. He gives you joy for us. He says, Make our joy complete. I'm writing to you to have fellowship with us in Christ, to have fellowship with God in Christ, so that our joy may be complete. If we're going to have real community, it is going to bring real joy. If we're going to have real joy, we need real community. We need real fellowship. We need real oneness in community with each other. Now, that's hard. That's really hard. Um, I struggle. I avoid conflict like the plague, and it's hard, but it's what, it's what I need, right? I love to hang on to my darkness, um, not because I so much I love its effects, but I'm so scared of the view of the person looking at me. I'm so scared they're going to judge me. I'm so scared that they're not going to point me to Christ when I need it. And it's just, it's selfishness. If I'm going to have joy, if I'm going to have joy in Christ, if I'm going to have joy with you, I have to do it with you. I have to commune with you. You have to commune with me. And we will have joy and we will have complete joy. Now, I'm going to pray and, um, and we're going to have the Lord's Supper. Pastor Jeremy is going to... Um, lead us in that. Fellowship is so important, and that's why when Pastor Jeremy was teaching through the Lord's Supper, he brought up those verses in 1 Corinthians 10, you know, is not our our partaking of the bread a, a participation? It's not a fellowship, is we are united to Christ. This is a remembrance of the fact that Christ has made us part of his body. And we do it together, not just out on our own, like 
with a Pop-Tart at breakfast um, because it says something of the fact that we're doing this together, right? And it is gluten-free. It's not Pop-Tarts. So, but let's, let's pray. Lord, I thank you um, that even though I run away from community, I run away from real biblical fellowship because it exposes me for who I am. I need it, Lord. Yeah, I need it. And I come to you this morning with a spirit of um, repentance, longing for change, longing to desire life more than safety, longing to desire real fellowship more than um, relational calm waters. It is so scary to follow you, Jesus. It is so hard, such a hard road to be undone at every step and to be shown where you are failing and where you are falling short. And yet this is the road that you've called us to. You said if anybody comes after me, they have to take up their cross and follow me. And so, Lord, we're here and we ask that you would give us the strength to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, to die to our reputations, to die to our little pleasures, to die to our safe relationships, and that you would help us to come to you, to find our identity in you as children of God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and that would free us to have true community together as a body of Christ. If there's anybody here, Lord, that doesn't have communion with you, it all starts with that foundation. The joy and fellowship can only be found in Jesus. If there's anybody here who does not have that, I pray, Lord, that you would show them the depth of their need for you, that you would help them to feel it deep in their bones that they need to be rid of that barrier that stands between them and you. And I pray that you would show them the joy-filled, soul-satisfying life that is found in Jesus Christ. The life that the Apostle John and the, the rest of the apostles and so many disciples in the early church, they died for it. It was so beautiful to have seen and heard and touched and proclaimed that they were willing to give up their very lives for it. Lord, would you give us that community that would spur each other on and push each other on to do that? Now, Lord, here in our country, we don't risk our lives, but we do risk so much to identify with you. Help us to leave sin behind, to draw near to you, and to draw near to one another in true communion. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.